Welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm Jill Funky, Communications Manager at Sioux Nation Ag Center, and we are so glad you found us. Sit back and listen as our staff hosts welcome guests from all aspects of the livestock production industry. It's our mission at Sioux Nation to arm regional, small, and medium producers with all of the resources we can put in front of them. And now, on with the program. Hello and welcome to the Sioux Nation podcast. I'm your Sioux Nation Ag Center staff host, Jill Funky, and Abby Bischoff joins us on the program to talk about the Stockyard Experience, which is a hit here in Sioux Falls. Thanks for being here with us today, Abby. Thanks for having me. You bet. Now, as the executive director, you kind of have a great insight about how the Stockyard Experience got its start and what keeps the visitors coming through your doors. So can you outline for our listeners how and why the Stockyard Experience was started? Yeah, absolutely. The Stockyard's egg experience, we really came to fruition not long after the Stockyard's, Sioux Falls Stockyard's closed, uh, which happened back in 2009. Uh, so a few years after the Stockyard's had closed, you know, the buildings were all kind of gone, the fences, the catwalk, and our founder, Jim Wooster, had an idea to start a museum to honor what had happened at the stockyards. It was a, obviously a incredible epicenter of business and community back in, well, for a really long time, 92 years. And he wanted to be someplace um, that folks could go and remember what had happened there and, and kind of honor the folks that had made it such a special place and helped build up Sioux Falls and the region to be what it is. He got great reception with that from a few people around town some people in city government, some local business people. And so when that idea got brought kind of further, everybody was like, yeah, we love that. We would love to have history of the stockyards, but also we would love to have some modern farm-to-table education to go with that. So uh, listening to the community, listening to some of the folks that were part of the stockyards, that's kind of how the vision for our project came about. We opened in 2017, and so it took, you know, a few years kind of from – 2012, I think, is when Jim kind of first had the idea. It took us, you know, five years or so to get things, dollars raised, figure out a place to be put, all those good things, develop the exhibits, uh, and we opened, like I said, in 2017. So, And since we've opened, we've welcomed over 30,000 people. We've hit all 50 states. We've got, I think, something like 33 foreign countries that we've had visitors from, and our attendance just kind of keeps growing and increasing uh, as Sioux Falls, you know, becomes a bigger destination on the map. Yes. My husband and I recently went through the museum. We had an intern from Germany a few weeks ago, and I loved the modern, the farm-to-table. I loved that educational component and, like, the little kitchen that you guys have in the yes. basement That because we really need everyone to understand where their food comes from and what goes into getting that food to the table. So we really appreciated that. And so, yeah, you can mark Germany. Probably you've had German visitors before, but if not, then you had one from, you had Simon from Germany. Thanks for bringing them down. (laughs) You're welcome. So do you do presentations elsewhere outside of the museum? We will. We will do some stuff outside of the museum walls uh, is the phrase that we will often use. You know, we really during our time with COVID as an interactive museum, when those early days first hit, there was a lot of question marks. We were trying to do a lot more online or virtual learning or bringing people, bringing things from the museum to places. So now if we get a daycare that maybe they don't have the transportation opportunity, we can take some of the 
things from the museum and go into a preschool or a daycare and have a conversation with those kids about you know, maybe what they had for breakfast that morning. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about how anything that they had for breakfast, we can really trace back to a farmer. Even the donuts or Pop-Tarts, things that you wouldn't even think, you know, you wouldn't think of those growing on a plant or anything or picking it off of a cow, uh, but we can trace those things back to a farmer if we just dial it back to the basic ingredients in any of those foods. So using things like that, donuts or pizza, tacos, things that most kids are familiar with and have an affinity for when we can kind of break that down and show them quickly how it gets from a farm that goes over pretty well. So those are some examples of ways that we've been able to take some of the education that we have here within the museum and take it, take it out into the world a little bit more. That sounds like fun. Now, when we went through on the top floor of your of your museum, which is at Falls Park, when we went through, what I noticed was the historical side of it and how so many of our listeners, if they're close to this area, some of them may have ridden along when dad or grandpa or somebody was bringing a load of animals to town. I think even my husband was looking through some of the paraphernalia that you guys have saved in the museum, and it had names from the communities outside of Sioux Falls that we recognized. Yeah. And so that was really kind of neat to see the old records of producers who are bringing their animals in. That's just kind of neat, too. It's definitely something special, and I think it really says what was special about the stackyard. It really was, you know, it was in Sioux Falls. It really was a huge regional draw. I know when I started working here about four years ago, uh, my mom came down and visited the museum for the first time. She is from, well, my family is from Huron originally, but my mom's side of the family is from Chamberlain. And when she came in, she walked in the museum and she was like, oh, yeah, I recognize that person there. I recognize that person because I used to ride down to the stackyards with your grandpa when I was a little kid. And I had no idea. That was Mm -hmm. personal history that I had no idea existed and it was just another connection than that I built to my work. But I think that's what's really special about this is almost anybody that had a family member, grandpa or a parent that brought livestock here, it's a personal connection that kind of comes alive for them when they when they visit the museum. And that's what makes history interesting and special, I think, is when we can find our personal connection to it. Absolutely. You're you're so right. So how is the museum funded? So we are basically all funded through private donations. Uh, we've never gotten any funding from the government, like either city or state government. We've gotten some grants over the years, but mainly all businesses have really funded the organization, businesses and individuals. We were a Sioux Falls Chamber appeal a few years ago, which kind of gives us that stamp of approval from the chamber. Uh, and we raised $1.3 million dollars through that effort. Uh, we did get a large gift from T. Denny Sanford a couple of years ago, a $1.5 million gift, which allowed us to rename our outdoor future plaza, Wooster Plaza, after our, our founder, Jim Wooster. Uh, but that's where a lot of those dollars have come, is through private donations and individual donations. And so then how are you governed? Uh, we are a, a nonprofit, so we're 501c3, and we have a 11-member board right now. We have capacity up to 14 board members, but 11 members, and those range in industry from Sioux Falls professionals that just maybe are in the commercial real estate space or the egg banking space 
to producers that live near Winter, producers that live near Chamberlain. So we we want to have a diverse board that kind of represents both sides of of the things that we're doing, right? We want to have board members that are producers that can help us make sure that the information that we're putting out there is relevant and makes sense and is accurate. And then we also want to make sure that we have board members that are consumers. And so we know what questions consumers want answered because it's really what we're here to do is to kind of bridge that gap between producers and consumers. So we keep the board with people from both sides of things there. Can you tell us the the days and hours that the museum is open? Yeah, so we vary hours a little bit depending on the season, but we are still in in the summer or visitor season, as they call it. So until October 1st, we are open every day but Tuesdays. Tuesdays, the one day of the week we're closed, but otherwise we're open 10 to 6 all those days, except Sunday we're open noon to 6. And then in the wintertime, we go to a little more truncated hours uh, just because visitor season slows down and... Uh, there's not as many people in the park, so we, we curtail those. But we always keep our hours updated on our website or on our Google page. What else would you like our listeners to know about the museum? I think the other thing that I would want listeners to know is that this is really just phase one of our project. So while we love our museum and we think it's done really well, we do have plans for expansion, and that's where a lot of those dollars I was talking about before will go. So we've raised about $3 million, $3.5 million that we have in the bank to build Wooster Plaza, which is going to be a continuation of what we've got now. Uh, it'll be an indoor-outdoor space. It'll be a year-round space. We'll have more ability to hold events. We'll have more abilities to hopefully do some farm-to-table cooking. There'll be a lot more experiences for kids to be able to feel like maybe they spent the afternoon on the farm, maybe they're jumping around on straw bales, maybe they're moving gates around and, um, you know, talking about how water is important to the farm. Or maybe it's a day when we're working with one of our partners and we've got, you know, piglet story time at the museum or something like that. We'll be able to bring livestock in kind of on a case-by-case basis. Uh, once we have the plaza up and going. So we have a huge, bright future ahead of us that we can't wait to get opened and start welcoming people to. So we want a taste of what we've got coming visit the museum now, but in a couple of years we'll have um, an even bigger and better world-class facility where we can share the story of our amazing producers we have in the region. I can't wait to come back. That's great. I know. <laughs> can't wait I'm to so see excited. That. Like. I love, I love what I get to do. Uh, I love being able to share the story of our producers with folks. Um, and we're just going to get to do it in an even cooler um, and more interactive way here in a couple of years. So. That sounds great. And also, admittance is free. Yep. We went to a free admission model a couple of years ago, and our attendance has increased by probably 250% since then. So, um, and folks are still generous when they come and visit and leave. Free old donations, so it's kind of balanced out. Um, but yes, we you can come and visit us free of charge. Well, thank you, Abby, for telling me the story of this Stark Yards experience. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We'll catch you next time with more guests and topics related to the current